This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is House Ag Committee Ranking Member Glenn G.T. Thompson. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Pennsylvania Representative Glenn Thompson next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 480 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. House Agriculture Ranking Member Glenn Thompson was in Iowa last week at the 2022 Farm Progress Show. Surrounded by the latest in agriculture technology, Thompson says there's an information gap between farmers and consumers in what tools are important to achieve sustainability and productivity goals, and he'd like to close it. If I would have the opportunity to serve as as chair of the U.S. House Agriculture Committee, uh, really is to put a strong emphasis on science, technology, and innovation within the jurisdiction of each and every Agriculture Committee subcommittee. Um, I, because uh, Let's face it, Jeff, I mean, how do we define American agriculture? And the best way to do it is three words, science, technology, and innovation. And you look what that's done for our nation, right? Our increase in productivity, 287% since the 1940s. Now, admittedly, we have a little slippage lately because of uh, input costs. So they, they estimate we're down to, we went down to 279%. But I am absolutely committed that we do all the right things uh, to increase our productivity uh, to 400% by 2035. You had the opportunity to walk the showgrounds at the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this past week. And again, technology surrounding you from machines and artificial intelligence, precision planting, new genetics, new hybrids, and the rest. But some farmers are frustrated because as companies are looking to new innovations and new opportunities, we have an environmental protection agency that is reviewing and re-reviewing some of the tools that have helped them be sustainable for so long. Yeah, and these are tools that our farmer, well, our crop protection companies have helped to pay for. I mean, most people don't realize that there's a public-private partnership. A lot of these of the good scientists that are at the EPA are funded by these crop insurance companies to make sure that there's an efficient process for a proper review and a proper process for for consideration for approval. And yet, these scientists have been sidelined, and uh, the politico types at the EPA have have been taking control and so and the only science that they're using is political science you know denying access to some of these important tools so yeah our farmers and ranchers are are really frustrated with that Um, we you know with american agriculture being what it is anybody that works for the federal government whether they work for the epa or usda they should be the last people to deny Mm -hmm. uh, and to leverage American agriculture science and innovation and technology. From your relationship with farmers and ranchers that you've spoken with and your own experience, 
do you think we have a regulatory system that accurately measures the safety of products but also allows an on-ramp for new technologies that are in the lab now that could help farmers achieve sustainability and profitability goals? Well, we, we haven't had for the, for the last um, 20 months unfortunately uh, prior to that absolutely you know uh, we've done creative things like you know uh, authorize a public private partnership with the EPA and having farmers as advisors putting farmers on the, the advisory committee for the EPA um, but it just seems like the the politics ro- has rolled the day Jeff uh, for the past year and a half anyways and and so uh, the good news is I know we can do it better. We have the uh, capacity. Uh, we have the track record to do that. But right now it's just very frustrating. One of the things I'm looking forward to, um, and this, this really came out of a discussion with uh, uh, at the Iowa Farm Progress, and I, um, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't think about this idea before, but, um, but if I get the gavel and get to chair this committee, I am looking forward to sending a subpoena to the White House and bringing and requiring Gina McCarthy and others who are really set driving this policy among the agencies. These are the internal advisors in the White House. Bring them before the committee and let them explain their rationale. Let them explain their decision making. Why are they doing this to the American farmer? When the American farmer right now, we should be unleashing them to save lives around the world by increasing their yield. And instead, the policies we see being put forward and those that are being talked about by the Biden administration is is hurting and decreasing yield at a time when, because of Russia, because of Ukraine, we should be unleashing the power of American agriculture for greater yields. If you get the gavel, if by chance you become chair of the, of the Agriculture Committee, when would you start working on the Farm Bill and, and how would you start? working on the farm yeah. bill, considering some of the work that's already been done. Well, we're, we build on what we've done. I was frustrated because it was a no to slow start uh, until like January. And since January, the intensity of in Washington uh, debates and hearings, you know, uh, credible witnesses coming in, um, and we need that to continue. Um, but what we haven't had, we've had zero... Uh, bipartisan field hearings anywhere in the country and th- that is so important where we go out and we bring these voices back you know i personally in my travels around i've probably been 40 different states uh over the past was well, since january of 2021 when i was elected as as a ranking republican for the agriculture committee i've you know i've, I've worked hard to do my own listening sessions and and that's been good but what would be better is to be have really official field hearings with both my colleagues, my friends that are Republicans and Democrats, just like we did for the 2018 Farm Bill and what we did for the 2014 Farm Bill. Now, what would I do different going forward if I get to be the chairman come January? Uh, increase, pick up the speed, pick up the intensity, uh, schedule, schedule these, uh, you know, two days, we hit three states, um, and we get lots and lots of good input uh, from farmers, ranchers, foresters, processors, just key stakeholders in what, what I used to call rural America. Today I call it essential America. <laughs> uh, some would suggest with policy in Washington we have steak appetites and baloney budgets. So if there are those and since there are those in the commodity groups are saying the reference price is too low, the nutrition groups that say we need additional funding, 
Can there be additional funds for a farm bill? And if so, how would you go about that process to, to yeah. get a bigger account to start well, with? Well, there's, there's been a ton of wasteful spending that perhaps could be uh, reappropriated to help us with the farm bill. Let me just put that out there. When they've, when they've spent trillions of dollars, most recently about three-quarters of a trillion dollars with this uh, supposedly anti-inflation act, which will do nothing but to drive up costs on everybody. So... That is that is something we wouldn't have had in the past. Uh, previous wasteful spending that could be reallocated, um, but I, you know, I don't want to get the the cart before the horse. And I learned this practicing healthcare in, in rural America for almost thirty years. Yeah, don't do anything until you do a good, thorough assessment. And that's where these field hearings and and more intense uh, uh, farm bill hearings in Washington will pay off when we hear more voices from rural or Central America. And from that, we de- will determine what we need. Now, the, the farm bill right now is going to be uh, $1.3 trillion over over 10 years. $1.1 trillion of that is Title IV nutrition. So I don't need anybody to come and tell me that they need more money for nutrition. What we need is we need to be able to enforce the rules that anyone that's, uh, say, for example, on the SNAP program. And I, I love the nutrition title. There are some people who would like to take that away. I from Farm Bill. That's not me. And in fact, if we did that, it'd be hard to get the votes to pass what we need. But at the same time, the integrity part of that, making sure that, you know, first of all, that, you know, people aren't cheating and and, and on that inappropriately. Number two, we need to give a people a pathway out of poverty, right? The provisions of, of the nutrition title does that until these, and quite frankly, some very liberal governors around the country who, who provide waivers so they don't require people that are struggling financially uh, to receive the education that we're offering to help them get a good-paying job. That needs to be addressed, obviously. So, uh, uh, But I, I'm, I'm not one to get ahead of uh, what we're going to spend until we figure out what we actually need. Standing for and recently having conversations with the wheat growers and the soybean growers, they recognize that the price for doing business and farming has gone up. Yeah. Fertilizer, diesel, yeah. nearly every category is higher. And even with our PLC that we have today, the reference price that we have today, it's below the cost of production. That's right. So it's not a that's not a, a really viable safety net no, it's not. From, from their view. Yeah, it's not effective. And then you look at uh, what farmers receive will drop dramatically overnight, but input costs go down really slow sometimes over years and and what you just described Jeff is is farming as a business and in a business you have revenue coming in and you've got expenses going out right your input costs and you know uh, at the end of the day like any business it's the margin that matters and so that is one of the things in Title One that you know, we need to have an adult conversation on. I've I've asked my team to take a look. I don't know what the solutions are yet, but I just look to the success of the dairy margin coverage. Even during that pandemic, that I call it a plague that we all lived through. You know, our dairy farmers, for the most part, did they didn't do great, but they did okay. They survived in a decent way. And it was because when we managed their risk, we switched to a dairy margin coverage. So the question I've raised with my team, and and uh, and it's interesting, a lot of people talking about it now, and and we're trying to do it very, to figure out what might be how you apply it. But how do you apply margin to Title One? 
Because really, at the end of the day, it's not what you get in reference prices. It's not what you get paid. It's what you have left over at the end of the day of whether you're able to continue to farm. Since you brought that idea up, there have been others who were kicking it around, obviously. And some suggested the first time we came out with margin for dairy didn't work so awful well and needed to be updated. Yeah. And then there are those who suggested, well, there's a lot more variables involved in crops than there are there in dairy. Are. But it's still a concept that could provide it is worthy of discussion. Now, I want to remind my our friends who who pointed out about dairy margin coverage that the dairy margin coverage that came out of the Agriculture Committee back in 2014 was outstanding. And when it got to other members of Congress and they started to manipulate it to artificially fit their numbers that they had set, they screwed it up. And they made it so it wasn't effective, it wasn't affordable, and it didn't pay off. So the lesson learned is let's trust the people, that are the members on the Agriculture Committee and our staff and, and we got it right. We got it right in 14 before they messed it up, and we got it right, to, right in 18. And quite frankly, we convinced the others to leave it alone. That's the strategy we need going forward. The Trump administration brought in additional dollars for farmers with the with the trades back kicked in with China. Yes, right. And then when the COVID plague pandemic kicked in, the, the everybody CFAP. was bleeding, and it, and it kicked in. Yep. And then regardless of how you feel, the IRA, the Inflation, uh, the, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, there's $20 billion there for conservation and some other areas. Will these funds work against you when it's time to put the pen to paper and start crafting a bill? They could. They could because you have to get 218 votes to pass anything in the House, right? And you have to get 60 votes to pass uh, anything in the Senate for a farm bill. Um, and so we've got a lot of education and advocacy we need to do with among members. And I've been doing that. The team has set me up with briefings with members. Um, and I'll continue to do those in groups and individually so the people understand that this ad hoc spending, and, and it's a huge amount. I think it's over 80% of what farmers have received since um, 2018 has come from this ad hoc spending. And there may be some members who, quite frankly, they don't understand American agriculture and how important it is. And they may say, you know, we spent all this money. Farmers got all this money, like this $20 billion in conservation dollars, which was, quite frankly, not done in a prescriptive way. There were no hearings. There was not bipartisan. Republicans were not allowed at the table on that. I don't even know how that money is going to get spent. Normally, when we do conservation programs, we do hearings, we do field hearings, we do it in a very bipartisan way. We listen to the voices of the American farmer. As far as I know, I'm not sure American farmers are going to benefit from this, these, these conservation dollars because it wasn't done in regular order. So it has the potential uh, to impact the farm bill process, but I'm, I'm committed to not letting that happen. And that means trying to educate my, my colleagues, um, you know, mobilizing the, the members of the Agriculture Committee to do the same thing, and quite frankly, working with the industry. So the industry is having those conversations with their individual members of Congress. So we're kicking dust as we're talking here, but uh, I assume that you and Chairman Scott have had conversations. How would you see the process the same, whether he is chair or you as chair? And how might there be differences with a D lead or an R lead in the House? Well, I can't speak for Chairman Scott. You know, it's... it's, uh, um, I am thankful since January, frustrated that we wasted two and a half years not doing anything. Uh, and I'm thankful the intensity picked up in June and July before we've been back here in our districts in August. And we're only back in Washington 
a month basically before before the election process really comes to the um, forefront. Um, all I can tell you is I am committed to increasing the intensity of our listening, uh, increase the intensity of full committee hearings uh, on the farm bill. Starting, we haven't started yet. Uh, any um, full committee field hearings. Um, my vision for that is we go out, uh, we look to our land grant universities to host us. You know, we invite invite the voices of uh, of Essential America, uh, farmers and ranchers, forester processors, key stakeholders uh, to come in to, to offer their testimony. Uh, we have the, the Republicans have set up a website. Uh, that uh, anyone and everyone is welcome to express their ideas. So we're we're trying to push this process along, um, you know, and that's my goal because I, you know, we this current farm bill expires the end of September in 2023. Now we don't have to rewrite the entire farm bill, right? We just need to learn from the people in rural America, you know, what needs tweaked, improved, maybe what we need to change. Um, what we might need to add. Uh, those are so. It's not like we're rewriting the, uh, all parts of um, you know all eleven titles of the farm bill. Do you think there would be a lot of difference between what you see and what Mr. Bozeman and or what Miss Stabenow might see with regard to a twenty-three? Has there been that conversation or dialogue? Well, there's been. A, I've had a lot of conversation with Senator John Bozeman. He is a is uh, a dear friend. He and Kathy are friends with Penny and I. Uh, uh, he was a mentor of mine when I came into the house. He was there. He's a Bible study buddy, uh, and you don't get any closer than than foundationally looking, you know, studying the Lord's Word. And so I'm I am so excited. I'm I'm really hoping that uh, that the Republicans in the Senate take uh, take a majority by whatever number, and that he would become the chair of of the of the Senate Agriculture Committee. Um, when it comes to agriculture and the farm bill, normally it's bipartisan. You know, we put aside our political registration titles and we work together for the benefit of those hardworking families that provide us food and fiber, energy resources, and building material. Now, this has been a challenging since January of 2021. It's been a little challenging. We've done some good bipartisan work, and I won't deny that, and I'm appreciative of those opportunities. But we've had some rather big bills that have cost this country trillions uh, that have been done just totally in a partisan way. It's hard to write a farm bill with blinders on for what's going on today but also to be able to see those yeah. unseen things like black swan events That's right. of conflicts in other countries yeah. and of and of disease that strikes the and, globe. And I, I call that looking over the horizon, and we need to do that. Um, a part of that is putting things in place that we know make us resilient. A strong crop insurance program. That helps, obviously. Obviously, uh, helping our our small producers and small processors to be able to grow so that we reduce monopolies and have greater competition. That's an important part of it. And I think, you know, where this conversation started, coming right back to putting a greater emphasis in every subcommittee jurisdiction on science, technology, and innovation. That's what helps us overcome and grow. 
So let's go to California and just have a discussion. The, the California Air Resources Board has said that by a particular date, you're not going to be able to buy anything new on wheels that doesn't run with electricity or run with hydrogen. And that would require a lot more charging stations. Right. Would probably require the, the, the upgrade of the electrical grid to support that additional work. Last week on this program, Donnell Rehagen, who is president and CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America, said, we can do that right now. We can automatically start helping the atmosphere by using more renewable fuel Correct. without rebuilding that infrastructure. Yeah. So is there a place where energy policy and agriculture can come together? Yeah, energy production really, I I think, is a part of agriculture, and not just the, the biofuels. You think about... Almost all energy comes off of when it comes to agriculture or agriculture committee jurisdiction. Uh, those rural lands, that's where all energy is produced from. Here's my prediction for California. They're, if they're successful with what they want to do, their economy crushes because California is a huge agriculture state, right? And, and you want to crush rural America. Well, I guess they're going to start in California, uh, because, uh, when you when you think about uh, biofuels um, with electric cars, you know biofuels will be displaced, and that hurts. That hurts their farming in California. It's going to do it nationwide. If Joe Biden was successful with twenty percent of electric vehicles he wants to put on the road, it would crush the rural economy, which would wind up crushing the economy of the United States of America. Three in three ways. Number one starts with corn and soybeans, biomass. It would just that would. That would be crushing on the economy. But then you ask, you add petroleum production. Another, and I know that sometimes our ethanol and our oil folks are at war. You know, we need to serve as a marriage counselor. We need them to come together because what they do is cleaning up the environment with this ethanol with within petroleum. And you're talking to a guy that represents the only ethanol plant in Pennsylvania, and I love it. But I also represent the first commercial oil well in the world, 1859, Drake Well. We need that industry to come together because the petroleum industry would be decimated as well, and that's a big part of our rural economy. And the third one, it's a little biased, um, my district, very rural district, but it is the world epicenter for powdered metals. And a lot of components that are made for combustion engines come out of the powdered metal industry. That industry would be crushed as well, and that would contribute to the demise of rural America economically. And what's not good for rural America is not good for the rest of America. And so the thing with these electric cars, it's all being driven by science, but it's political science. Representative Thompson, thank you for spending time during your time at the Farm Progress Show when this conversation has taken place. We've actually been talking side stage with our friends at Farm Progress before you take the opportunity there. So an incredibly busy schedule, but you took time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic, and for that, I thank you. It's also Open Mic, and sir, the tradition is... You have the last word. Last word. Well, let me just talk about the farm bill in terms of getting it done. We have three options. First one's not really an option, and we let it expire. We let this current farm bill expire. We revert back to Dust Bowl era policy that would be decimating to rural America and ultimately to all of America. Not an option. Number two, we could kick the can down the road, do an extension. Well, that's failure to do our job because we know there's some things we ought to improve upon. We ought to protect but improve upon crop insurance we we ought to do look creatively at title one the reference prices i mean there's a number of things if 
of opportunities that we could do. So I don't think the number, the second option is really a real option either. And the third option, we do our job and we work hard and we put the hours in. We do the travel. We do the intense time in Washington and we write a farm bill that really serves not just rural America, but in the end, every American family. Our thanks to House Ag Ranking Member Glenn Thompson, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.